Our reading will be from Psalm 42. So if you have that uh, in the pew Bibles in front of you, that should start on page 452. So I'll give you a moment to find that. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Good evening, everybody. Wonderful to be together as God's people. And for those that are joining us, uh, really warm welcome to you. It's wonderful that you can be with us tonight. Now, as that psalm was read, I don't know what you're feeling. It's a bit of a downcast, very solemn. It's called a lament psalm, but I, I promise you there was hope within it, and there's a God who meets us there. I said last week it was a mistake that we're going to preach from this psalm. It's not a mistake we're preaching this psalm. The mistake was I did a typo. And in God's providence, uh, he's led us to this psalm tonight, and so I've had the, the pleasure and the delight of walking through it this week. And so as we go through it together, I trust, we trust uh, that God is going to do a work in and through us as we come to his word. Before we do it, though, I'm going to pray. So please pray with me. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that like tonight, there is parts in it that just dig deep into our soul. And thank you that we find these words within your word. I pray tonight that my words are directly from you, uh, that you work amongst your spirit uh, through the people in this room and across the screen. So we know what it is that you are saying and know what it means uh, to follow in your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading a, a book this week and it spoke about a man named Seth. Seth is a guy who lives in the suburbs. Uh, his dad, by all accounts, he's an effective kind of leader, apparently an all-round great guy, but he's recently relocated to have a new job. He's moved cities. Now, that has caused within him a great deal of stress uh, as he starts this new job. There's also excitement. Uh, there's lots of things going on for him. New job, new place. He wants to help his family settle. He's got all those things uh, going on. He ends up catching up with a mate named Dave. Hasn't met this guy for about a year, and Dave asks him, Hey, how are you going? How's your family doing? Seth responds, um, Yeah, mate, going pretty well with the family. Uh, we're settling to schools, life here. But my late, my... Elder teenage daughter, 
uh, has taken it hardest. In fact, I recently discovered on her search feed on her phone, there was searches on YouTube along the lines of, how do I know if I'm depressed? And how do I deal with anxiety? That is a pretty standard story. In the sense of, like, no matter what age we are, we have these kind of stresses that come up in life. And particularly those of us who are younger can have these feelings of, what does it even mean for me to feel these emotions? To feel this kind of turmoil within me? We want answers to those questions. Uh, And in many ways, the professionals of our day are currently saying that we are living in a sort of mental health crisis in many levels. To give you a couple of stats from Australia, uh, in 2021, this is from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. It said two in five Australians aged 18 to 85, so we're talking 8.6 million people, have experienced a mental disorder at some stage in their life. One in five have had a 12-month disorder, meaning that it's going on for more than 12 months. Anxiety was the most common form of mental disorder, and then for the young adults aged 16 to 24, two in five people have had a 12-month mental disorder. There was another study done in the US by a Christian group, a social research group named Barna, said that anxiety was the most common theme in all the reports that came back to them uh, as they did a report on young adults in particular. Now, when it comes to issues of mental health, that can cover a whole range of things. When we're talking about mental um, health disorders, forms of depression and anxiety, and a person can be feeling them for all sorts of range of reasons. It can be the chemical imbalances in our brain that we've come to learn about. Uh, It could be because of some childhood trauma, some trauma that's happened in their life. Could be because of some global pandemic that has happened. It could be for a whole range of reasons uh, that these things can occur. Uh, These mental disorders are a real thing, and Christians are not exempt. We have a God that walks through it with us, uh, but we're not exempt. Now, in addition to that, all of us live with our emotions, the emotions that go along with our life. Emotions are a beautiful thing, but they're also a bit strange, aren't they? Sometimes causing us delight, beauty, kind of the heights of human living. And other times, our emotions make us feel things that we don't want to feel, make us think things that we don't want to think. Uh, They make us, in some ways, do things that we don't understand while we're doing them. The reality is that our emotions are a good part of us, and in a sense, they're part of God's good design. They're not a result of the fall. Yet, we might be slow to admit it, we are somewhat troubled by our emotions, and they don't always reflect uh, the character of God. Now, this passage tonight, Psalm 42, uh, addresses this somewhat complex yet universal web of emotions uh, and challenges to our mental well-being. This passage, it touches on depression. It touches on anxiety. This passage touches on what it feels like to have, what what it can feel like when God feels absent. What it looks like for a Christian to feel like the enemy is winning whether that enemy be external, spiritual, or just in your head. This psalm, in many ways, is a godly response for a person who is asking themselves, what do I feel when I'm depressed? What what can I do when I'm anxious? How do I go on when God feels absent? Now, perhaps you're asking that question. Uh, Perhaps you have asked that question. And if you haven't, then you probably will. 
I've just turned 30. I haven't lived all of life yet, God willing. But for people I know that are older than me and that I've read about, this is part of the human experience. Before we go through it, though, uh, this sermon, first and foremost, is about Psalm 42. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I'm not going to pretend to be. Uh, Don't think of me as one of them. Um, I am a pastor who you've set aside and said, go to college, learn some things, be trained in the Bible, come back uh, and help us be our pastor. But also, just more than that, I do life with you. I walk with you. I feel the same things. I've lived these things. I've walked in this sermon, uh, this passage, uh, this week. And so together, we want to hear from God's word and understand what it looks like for us to engage with these kind of questions as we engage um, with these emotions and these experiences in life. Now, the approach that we're going to do, we're going to tackle it in three ways. We're going to look at uh, what the psalmist's experience is. So as we go through it, what's he feeling? What is his kind of sense of experience, his state of mind uh, that uh, he's going through? Then we'll see, uh, secondly, how he responds. In light of all those feelings, what does he do? What does he respond in light of that? Which will naturally ask, let us ask the question, uh, what does it therefore look like for us to walk with God in this emotional turmoil? What does it look like for us to walk with God uh, through these states of depression and anxiety? So please do have Psalm 42 open in front of you if you don't. Firstly, let's tackle his feelings and state of mind, the psalmist. Now at the beginning, you would have heard that it's not by David or anybody like that. It's by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, to put it really simply, are the worship leaders in the church, uh, in the temple in Israelite's day, set up during David and Solomon's time. Uh, they're the worship leaders. So this psalm is sung corporately. Imagine singing this psalm. Oh, my heart is so disturbed in this kind of space. You know, it's pretty intense. This is what's going on here. Now, the central feature to this psalm is the refrain uh, that happened in verse 5 and verse 11. And it also, uh, the continuation of this psalm is Psalm 43. And it comes up again there. It says this, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and our God. To kind of put that in more our language, uh, to be downcast means to be depressed, to be melancholy. It's the opposite of bright, energetic, motivated, downcast, depressed. Now, to be disturbed, he says, why, my soul, are you so disturbed within me? He's talking about those anxious feelings, all churned up inside in turmoil. You know, like a river and it's just raging. Everything's going on all around it. That sediment bursting around. That feeling of anxiousness is what's going on here. Now, in this state of mind, he talks to himself. That's what he's doing here. He's talking to himself. Uh, he's disturbed. He's confused. He's concerned by what he's feeling. He doesn't like it. He's not happy that he's feeling this way. What's going on in his body is causing him great concern. And he's asking himself, why do I feel this way? What is going on? Why can't I just put my hope in God? Just put your hope in God, my soul. You know those times within yourself, things come to your mind, and you're like, that, that's, I don't want to be thinking that. That's horrible thoughts. Feelings of anxiousness, unsolicited, consuming. You don't want them, but they're there. Maybe you know why, maybe you don't know why. Now, we don't know what's made the psalmist feel this way. We're not told. Um, but what we are told is, irrespective of that, he feels abandoned by God. That's how he feels. 
Uh, the way it starts, that line that we've heard many times, as the deer pants for the water, uh, soul, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, I used to think that that was a picture of someone who is in like the ecstasy of delighting God, you know, really solid, going through, loves the Lord, and is really height of spiritual experience. But it's not that uh, at all. This person is longing for God, longing for him like a deer, desperate for waters, desperate for God because he has none. He feels like God is not there. He knows that God is the only source uh, of his refreshment, but he longs for him. He feels like he's not there. The psalm continues, verse 3, and the imagery is palpable. Right? He longs for streams of water, but the streams of his tears is what fills his face. That's his food. Like the people who wrote this are in a dark place. And it seems like those around them can notice it. They see it. So what do they say? Where's your God? Look at how you're feeling. Surely your God's not there. Where's your God? Surely if your God was real, you wouldn't feel that way. You wouldn't feel like you currently do. For us, sometimes that's the words that other people say. Sometimes they're the words that fuel our minds, that we can tell ourselves the voices that are in our head. The psalmist also feels abandoned and he tells us in verse 9, I say to my rock, why have you, say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning? It's not his reality, but that's certainly what he feels. And he describes his feeling as one of absolute chaos. Verse 7, where he said, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls or your waves, your breakers, they're sweeping over me waterfalls, waves, imagine you're at the beach and you're, clinging, you're in a rip, like clinging, trying to get to air, like reaching up again and the breakers keep coming over you. It can be the feeling of anxiety and depression, emotional turmoil. You may be recalling parts in your life where you're feeling those kind of thoughts. That is the situation that is going on here. Now we could experience these things for a whole manner of reasons. The psalmist asks why. We might ask ourselves too, why? Perhaps we feel like a failure or we feel unwanted. We feel like no one wants to be our friend. Uh, we feel like we're of no value, no value to contribute to the world. Whatever it may be, there's so many reasons we could feel that way. Perhaps we have no idea why we feel this way at all. That's a pretty dark, that's a pretty grim picture. And I realize we've kind of gone through it and I haven't, we've sat in that space. To be emotionally in turmoil like that, to feeling abandoned by God. Now, it's a dark picture, but it's a dark picture expressed in the presence of God. Friends, this is God's word given to us. He spoke it through these psalmists, and it's come to us. The beauty of God's word, and particularly is the psalms, is that God is saying, I meet you in your pain. I meet you there. He's not some far off, He's not a transcendent God that doesn't care about his people. No, he draws near to us. And that is the absolute beauty of the Psalms. God's word through human authors in our experience. It's like God is saying to us, I'm giving you the permission and I'm giving you the language to cry out to me in your pain, to cry out to me in your turmoil. Some of what the psalmist has even said is not correct theology. It's wrong. When he says, God, why have you abandoned me? God hasn't abandoned him, but that's how he feels. God is giving him almost the, us the permission uh, to say that if that's how we feel. To 3,000 
people from 3,000 years ago to us today, God is saying, I meet you where you're at. You might feel abandoned, your emotions might be at sea, but I'm with you. And I'm going to restore you. So friends, please hear from God that no matter what you're feeling, and what's going on in your life, we can feel like we've got to somehow make ourselves lovable. Somehow our identity has got to be right so God can love us. He loves us when we were rubbish. Loves us at our absolute worst. Like it's a love that we cannot comprehend how beautiful, how glorious it is. And that is why Jesus came. He came because God loves us with this incredible, unfathomable kind of love. That is why he's given us his spirit, given us his word and one another. So as a point of kind of direct application to, to this section is that we can use the Psalms to cry out to God. The Psalms was Israel's and now ours prayer book. It covers the kind of breadth of human experience. And if we want to know the Psalms and how to use them in particular moments, then we've got to read them, know them, soak yourself in them. We have a Bible reading plan which always goes through the Psalms. Every month, Psalms uh, is the central column. Because at some point, these words are going to resonate with our experience. And God is going to meet us there. I also, when I read the Psalms, I started at the end of last year and uh, now into this year, read this. It's a devotional by Tim Keller, which goes through a section of the Psalms each day. It's very helpful uh, for me. And I've heard it said often, I've seen it in others, and I'm continuing to see it within myself, that the more and the more I meet with God, I pray with him, I sit in his word. And in, case, and in this case, the Psalms. I know I have the permission to feel what I feel, and present it to God. Not just sit there, but to present it to God, to be in his presence, to be honest. And it's in that honesty that God does his deepest work within us. So Psalm 42, it's a grim picture. It is a dark picture, but it's expressed in the, parents of, the presence of God. But the psalmist also doesn't just sit there. He doesn't just remain in that feeling. He leans into God. He doesn't lean away. He doesn't stay where he is. He, he leans into God. He falls into his arms, you could say. Even though he's full of unwanted emotions, uh, we see how he responds. These are his feelings, but how does he respond? Now, the first thing, the first way we see he responds, and I alluded to before, is that he talks to himself. Uh, the whole psalm really is in one way him talking to himself. Or really, because it's sung corporately, they're saying it to one another, uh, articulating their feelings. Look back at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why, my soul, are you disturbed? It's like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. Put your hope in God. So I know that's what you must do. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's saying to himself, the, the Israelites are saying to one another, don't just look within. Look to God. Together, look to him the God who loves you, the God who holds eternity in his hand. For us, this side of the cross, we're looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who brings us hope now, but also into eternity. It's as though all these kind of negative emotions, these kind of feelings within our gut, he feels them. They're acute within him, but he leans into God. He falls into his presence and knows that God listens. And he says to himself a whole bunch of things. We'll go through them. But kind of overarching, what he is doing is that he is remembering. He remembers. 
He remembers the truths, the goodness of God. He remembers the experiences that he's had in the past where he's known God's presence, he's known God's hand. He's known of God's hand through others. Now, this act of remembering is powerful, but we also know this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who can use that to continue to transform us, to work through the sum again. From verse 2, he knows and remembers that God is the one who satisfies his soul. I should say, when we're talking about soul, not like some non-material part of us, like our inner being, like who, who, who we are. Uh, he pants for a dear longing for God. He remembers the presence of God. When we have a look, verse 4, he particularly remembers the presence of God when he was with his people. Uh, verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of the Lord, go to the temple, under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise. He's hearing that from other people among the festive throng, basically Passover, the big festivals, tabernacles, whatever it may be. In our time, he's remembering Sunday. He's remembering coming to a worship service. He's remembering times of home group. He's remembering being with God's people in his presence. And he also remembers that God loves him. He doesn't feel it, but he tells himself. He knows that God loves him. In verse 8, uh, in the middle of the two refrains, between verse 5 and 11, uh, kind of at the climax of what he gets to, he says, By day, the Lord directs his love. There's a Hebrew word, hesed. And basically, love beyond you can imagine, right, is what is going on here. He's not feeling God's love in this moment, but he knows it to be true. He holds on to it. He speaks it to himself. He remembers the truth. Remember what you've had experienced. Remember how God has displayed his character to you individual and to you people, Israel, to us, Christian. And he remembers that God is his rock. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock. Right? He's not turning to idols. He's not turning to alcohol. He's not turning uh, to whatever form of distractions of entertainment, uh, his form of Netflix or social media that would numb him. No, he goes to God. That's his refuge, his security, his protection, his firm foundation that never fails. He is remembering the truths about God. He cries out to God amidst the feelings. He's having those feelings. Within that, he cries out to him. He's looking for God to do something within him. Now, friends, ultimately, our spiritual health, our mental health, is not only going to come from looking within, but looking to God and allowing him to transform us and to dig up things from that are within us and to transform them. As David would say in other Psalms, search me, Lord, and know me. Reveal stuff about me. Forgive me of my iniquities. God does that work within us uh, and shapes our soul. Now, that kind of thought is a whole other sermon series, but we have the foundations of that here. Remember the truths of God and the experiences of him. Which naturally leaves us asking the question, what does it look like then to walk with God? What does it look like to walk with God and mix these kind of mixed feelings um, and uh, complex emotions perhaps and feelings of depression and anxiety? Uh, not only for those of us who suffer with those more clinical forms of mental disorder, but also for just the general everyday emotions in life. Now, before we get into it, it's important, I think it's important that we say, I say, uh, that at times it is vitally important for some of us, maybe even for all of us at some point, to seek professional help. When I talk professional help, I'm talking counsellors, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, people who have that professional training 
in that regard. They can be extremely helpful. In God's common grace to humanity, he's allowed us to learn these kind of things, to have medicine, to have understanding of who we are, such that these professionals can help us uh, and God can use those things. But what we also see is that God is the one who actually transforms us. He's the one who can use those things and perhaps we need them at the time. Maybe we'll need them ongoingly, but he is the one who transforms us. Now, I've spoken about some of the ways that we can do it before in the sense of you just come to God honestly. Come to God, sing the Psalms, read the Psalms, whatever it may be. Uh, I want to draw out a couple particular applications and practices uh, that we can apply from this Psalm for whatever moment we are in in our life. The first is, no matter what season we are in, uh, we celebrate, we remember, and we anchor ourselves in the gospel. Uh, For us, this side of Jesus, um, we're remembering him. The psalmist is saying, put your hope in God. Our greatest hope is in Jesus. That's where our greatest hope is because of his life, his death, his resurrection. We know that we have a saviour and a king who's walked our pain. A saviour and a king who's experienced to the depths of human suffering, greater than when he went to the cross and suffered against and conquered sin, evil, and death. There is no part of our life that is irrelevant to the impact and the relevance of the gospel. And God is in the process of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And that certainly goes for our emotions and our mental health as well. So in light of that, what the psalmist is doing is particularly remembering God and the gospel. He's recalling specific things that come to mind. Now for Israel, when they thought about remembering, it's not just a recall, it's like a calling to mind that resulted in action. That's what the word meant for them. So in our times of despair, in our times of feeling downcast, disturbed, emotional turmoil, we remember the gospel. We remember the character of God, his love for you. I know people that have particular verses on their phone, and when they look at their phone, they see it, they know that's the truth. That's the goodness, that's the beauty of God. Sometimes it's tacky postcards that are stuck in our house. Sometimes beautiful pictures, uh, whatever it may be. I know others who've written down the truths of God. So when times that their mind fills them with evil, dark thoughts, or things that aren't true, they can read them and they know, I'm going to speak the truth of God over me. Uh, You can simply pray a psalm. Pray this one. Um, Deb prayed through Psalm 23 before, and I'd written down, I love Psalm 23. It's a beautiful psalm. My mom sung it over me when I was a kid. I sing it now over my children because I want my children to have a song that will be over their life that they can know no matter what goes on, they have the word of God, they have God with them. They're good shepherd. Do something that can help you, that's going to help you to remember, to anchor yourself in the truths and the gospel. And that means you're going to have to prepare yourself You may be experiencing now, you might be experiencing it to come, but prepare yourself for those moments so you're ready, you're armed for when they do come. Because when we walk through times of turmoil in our emotions, anxiety, depression, the Spirit of God through the psalmist is saying, remember the truths, remember the experiences of God and preach them to yourself. And we need to continue to encourage one another uh, to do the same. The second practice that we see that the psalmist does is he longs to be in the presence of God, particularly with his people. Being in the presence of God through his people. 
Uh, when we hear sing praise, the psalmist says, I've got to sing praise. Maybe your mind immediately goes to, and what my mind immediately did was, what if I don't feel like praising? When I'm not feeling joyful, why could I, I can't praise. But this kind of praise is not that joyful, delightful kind of praise. This is a praise of anchoring hope, a praise of hope, a praise of trust in God, declaring his beauty, declaring his goodness, declaring his truth. And that kind of praise in the presence of one another can have the power to transform us through the Spirit. Now, to do this practically, like, do it somehow with your body. We have, we're embodied beings. We have to do it somehow. Now, I suggestion this is a little bit could feel left field, but it's helpful. Um, it may be helpful. In these times, it might be Wednesday night. Could be some other time. It's not Sunday. Sunday feels far away. Simply message a friend. Ask them to pray. Message a friend and say, I do not have the strength to praise, but I'm going to put a song on Spotify. Can you put it on with me? Simple, a little bit intense it may feel, but a way for us to together praise God with one another. And in that place, the Spirit will unite us. That's what he says he will do. And then we just trust that he will do his work through the will of God. Now, another definitive practice is doing literally what we're doing now. Keep doing it. Gather with God's people. Be with God's people, singing his praise, hearing, his, um, hearing, hearing the songs be sung, singing them with one another, the prayers, the word, uh, whatever kind of other stories are being told. When we physically come together, uh, we, we hear from God, we express community together, and so many people have said to me before I was a pastor in the few years that I have been, along the lines of I felt no desire at all to come to, to church. Not one iota of me wanted to be there. But I came and in some way it was a blessing to me. Friends, this is a beautiful thing when we meet with God and his people. And so by extension, that means if you've come to church and you're in a good place in a sense, like in a joyful place, it is just as likely you're sitting next to someone who is not. So when we praise, when we sing, when we gather, we don't just do it for the glory of God, which we do. We don't just do it for ourselves. But we do it for the ones sitting next to us who can't. We do it for the ones sitting perhaps in the back row who cannot bear to come forward. We do it for the one who can't sing the songs. We do it for the ones that can't do it themselves and we praise we praise with them and for them, along with them. Because they're here in bravery, but they're here in hope. They're here in trust that God will come. So sometimes when we praise, yes, we do it for the glory of God. Yes, there is benefit to us, but we do it for our sister and our brother who can't. And the Holy Spirit can use the gathering in order to renew us. As a commentator, Jared Wilson said, corporate worship is a place where we remember the past, receive power to face the present and conceive hope for tomorrow. Friends, we're emotional beings and we're broken beings too in the process of being renewed by Christ through his spirit, being transformed into his glory. And so before Christ returns, God meets us in our pain. God has walked through and experienced in his body the greatest sense of suffering in his life 
especially on the cross. And the Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, our advocate, the presence of God within us. God does not dismiss our despair. He meets us in it. He will continue to transform us. And then there will be a day where we will no more sing this psalm. There will be no more need. There will be no more need because Christ has come. He will have drawn people to himself. He will complete the kingdom of God. The new heavens and the new earth will come and there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more asking, crying out, why am I so disturbed and distressed? Because we will live with him, the Lord, face to face in his perfect kingdom. So between now and then, though, in 2023 and beyond, continue to walk with one another and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. As we've seen from Psalm 42, cry out to God in despair. Remember his truth. Prepare yourself. Preach them over yourself and then do it together. And then with one another, let's continue to praise God and to put our hope in him. Then in the midst of despair, we can be with the psalmist and cry out, my hope is in my God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Friends, that's what we're going to do. Uh, The band is going to come up and we're going to praise God together. We're going to sing a song that says, well, it's called I Choose to Worship. A song that declares no matter what kind of season we're at in life, that together we can come before God and worship him. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray over us, and I'm going to pray Psalm 43, which is the extension of this psalm, and then we're going to sing. Sing however you're capable, uh, and enjoy and experience the presence of God together. Please stand. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you meet us in our pain in our despair. And I pray for anybody in this room tonight that is in need of you, like a deer panting for streams of water, that you will meet them. And that they will hear the praises of your people as we declare your truths. And you'll meet them by your spirit. And I pray over us uh, this prayer from Psalm 43. Vindicate us, our God, and plead our cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue us from those who are deceitful and wicked. God, you are our stronghold. We may feel like what you have rejected. We say, why must I go on mourning against our enemy? Send us your light. Send your faithful servants your care. Lead us. Bring us into your presence where you dwell. Then we will go before you, our God, our joy and our delight. We will praise you with a lyre. O God, my God. Why am I sold to you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and our God. Let's praise.